This is an audio sermon recorded at the Church of Christ at Johnson Mill in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 3801 Johnson Mill Boulevard. Matthew says, Behold, one came and said unto him, Good Master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? And Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You know, the Bible can make a statement just one time. That's all, one time. It's always true. What, are the shortest, what is the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. That's stated one time. That statement's true. The Bible can say something once, and it's always true. The Bible can record a story or an event one time, just once. And that story or that event is always important. But what should we think if the Bible records something more than once? Then certainly shouldn't that be important and shouldn't that certainly be true? It is. And in the case of this story that we've just read, not only does Matthew record this, so does Mark and Luke. And when we're studying, and I've talked to you all about this before, when we have multiple accounts of something in the Bible, read all of the accounts. If there's a parable, like the parable of the sower, and Matthew gives a record, and Luke gives a record, or others give a record, read all the records. Gather the details out of each one and combine them, and then you get the total truth and the clearer picture of everything. And the same thing's true with this story. Not only does Matthew record it, so does Mark and Luke, and only when we pull the details out of each one of the three records do we really get the complete story of this young man. There's things that Matthew reveals that Mark and Luke doesn't, or that Luke will give us that Mark and Matthew don't, or that Mark will give and Luke and Matthew will not. And so you have to go to all three and pull all the details. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, let's look at, at Mark's record here in Mark 10 and 17, and I'll show you something Mark tells us that Matthew didn't give us in that reading. Mark says, When he was gone forth in the way, there came one running and kneeled to him, and asked him, Good Master, what shall I do that I may have eternal life? Now listen, Matthew never told us that the young man came running to Jesus. He never mentioned that haste. And he never mentioned the fact that the young man kneeled to Christ. But you see, Mark supplies those details. And if we had not read Mark's account, we wouldn't know that about the young man. Because Matthew didn't give those details in his record. Now look at Luke's account. In Luke 18 and 18, Luke says this, And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now Luke tells us he's a ruler. Matthew didn't tell us he was a ruler. Mark didn't say anything about the young man being a ruler. But Luke mentions it. And if we had not read Luke, we wouldn't know he's a ruler, see. So we've taken things from Matthew and Mark and Luke, and now we've combined them. And when we do that, as we study, we'll get a clearer picture of the young man in this story. And this is quite an interesting young man, and he's quite a good young man. There's 
so many good things about this fellow that I want us to notice. So let's just look at a description of him and let's look at his character for just a moment. The first thing I want to mention about him is he's rich. We call him the rich young ruler. He's rich. And I don't know how he got rich, and we've talked about riches before. Because so many people today think if you're rich that you're dishonest. That somehow you have cheated other people out of the resources that you now possess and you took it from them. And that's not, that's not always true. Now there are rich people who have gotten rich in ways that are not honest, ways that are not proper. Some of them are drug dealers, others are thieves or extortioners. And there's all kinds of ways that people can make money dishonestly. And I understand that, that some people are very wealthy because they're crooked and they're cheats and they're extortioners and they're thieves. But just because a person has riches doesn't mean they've been dishonest. A lot of people get their wealth properly. They do. Some people marry into money. Some people inherit their money. Some people just roll up their sleeves and they work hard mentally and physically and apply themselves. And they make a lot of money and you can do that in America because there's a lot of opportunities. And so many, many people are wealthy who did not cheat somebody to get it. There's no indication that this rich young ruler was rich because he stole the money from other people. So give him the benefit of the doubt here and let's say that he made his wealth and got it in a proper manner. Uh, when we make money, we have a related responsibility to use it right, to use it properly, not to be stingy with it, not to be covetous. And uh, there are three parties, and we've talked about this many times, three parties that are involved in what we have. Many, many times I've told you, first of all, there is God. We can't have a thing without God. But on the back side there, Deuteronomy 8 and verse 18, the Bible says, Thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is He that giveth thee power to get wealth. It is God that gives us the power and ability to get wealth. If you're uh, extremely talented, let's take some of these singers that make a lot of money cutting records and things. God has given them great ability to sing. They owe that talent to God. Now maybe they're not using it in the best way for God's glory. Maybe they ought to be singing in His church among His people and singing spiritual songs. But nonetheless, they're making a lot of money and, and they owe God credit for that because He gave them that ability. Some people have great mental skills. I mean, they're great scientists, they're great thinkers, they're mathematicians. And so they make a lot of wealth because of the mental capabilities that they have. God has given them that. Other people have great skills as architects or perhaps as cabinet builders and, and such things. They, they can make a lot of money with their hands and they're very skilled laborers. They got those abilities from God. Others are great speakers and they make money on speaking circuits and everything and they make a lot of money giving speeches and things. But they've been given that ability by God. James said in James 1.17 that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. I was speaking last night at the prison and afterward the prisoners came up and said, my, you sure have memorized a lot of Bible. And I always try when, I, when I'm told that to divert that over to God if I can because any ability I've got to remember things, God gave me. And I don't have any right to brag about that. That was given to me such as it is. And that's true of anything that we have as far as gifts and talents, all of it's come from God. 
And so he's responsible for all that we have in this life. Secondly, other people are. We've talked many times about our economy here in this country. We have, we have an economy that's based upon an exchange of goods and services, and so we, we, we sell our skills and our labors and our abilities to other people. Maybe someone needs a house built and somebody's a skilled carpenter. So he takes those abilities, you see, and other people need his service, and so he exchanges that service then for the income that he makes. And we are relied upon other people to make money. David can't make money unless somebody wants to buy property and houses. He has to have other people to make a living. That's true of everybody here. Chris can't make money without other people needing property repaired, houses repaired, and, and construction work, and so he makes a living that way. And that's true of all of us here. We need other people, see, because we have a service or we have a product that they need. And that's how we earn our money. And you can't make money without others. You can't do it. And then number three, we are involved in what we have. A lot of people are poor because they won't work. There's opportunities for them. There's jobs, but they won't apply themselves. They're lazy or else they're ill-prepared. During their youth, they, they uh, squandered away time when they could have trained themselves and educated themselves to take a good job. And you that are young people here today and listening to me talk about this, still have an opportunity to get yourself a good education and good skills. It's not too late for you in life at your age. You, can, uh, you as you get older, can, can pursue a, a great education or, a, or some great training that will ensure that you make a good living during your life. And so we need to make preparation while we're young. That's just wise and good planning, see? And some people will not do that or didn't do that. And as a result, they've made their lives more difficult it's more difficult for them to make a good living because they don't have any skills and abilities to offer people, and some of that came by neglect or laziness or whatever. Other people are simply disabled. They are mentally impaired to where they cannot think and reason good, or they can have all kinds of difficulties, and these are people that need our help and need a boost as they go through life, and these are people we need to think about. And that's where the young man in this story really failed. It's not that he got wealthy improperly. It's the fact that he didn't use his wealth properly, and, and that was the danger for him. Jesus tells in, uh, in the story of Luke there are three different rich men that are spoken about in detail. One of them's a rich farmer. Let me mention him a minute in Luke 12. You remember the, uh, Jesus said, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not of the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. This is Luke 12, 15. And he thought within himself, What shall I do, because I have no place to bestow my goods? And he said, This will I do, I will pull down my barns and build greater. There I will bestow all my fruits and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. See, that's that farmer there that was, was covetous. He had, he had good crops in his field. He filled all of his barns. He still had crops left. Rather than say to the poor or to widows, Why don't you come glean what's left in my fields? I have plenty. My barns are full. 
please just take this and use it before it perishes there in the field. He could have done that and helped a lot of poor people about him, but he wouldn't do it. Rather than give it away, he would tear down his barns and build even greater so that he could store every bit up for, it for himself. And God told him he was a fool because he was about to die that very night. And somebody would take possession of everything he had worked for and he would lose it all. See. So we need to be careful then. Luke 16, we have the story of the rich man and Lazarus, remember? And here's the fellow that seemed to never help the beggar that was laid at his gate. There's no indication that rich man in Luke 16 got wealthy and property, but he wouldn't use it to help this poor beggar that was having such a difficult time. And then we have the rich man in this story that we're studying today in Luke 18. Luke 12, Luke 16, Luke 18, three different rich men all failed in the same way, not that they got wealthy and properly, but they didn't use it properly. And all three of them were covetous. So this man is rich, evidently he's made it honestly, but he's not using it right. The second thing I want to know, notice about this man is that he's young. You know what, I can't say that about a few of us here this morning. Now most of you are young that are here. Boy, I'll tell you what, there's a, there's a lot of blessings about being young. Let me get me a marker. When you're young, you've got something that those of us that are older don't have. You've got life expectancy. Now I don't, I don't mean that everybody here is going to live a long life because you're young. You know, a lot of people die young. Sometimes that happens, and we're always saddened by that. But I've preached uh, funerals for young people that were killed in car wrecks. I remember having a double funeral one time, a boy that was a senior in high school, and the other boy with him was a ninth grader. Two caskets up front of just teenage boys that lost their life in an accident. So even young people need to understand you can get killed. You can die young. But as a general rule, when we're young, we have what we call life expectancy. And, you know, that means that if we just put a timeline out here for a person's life, if this is the birth down on this end and death over on the other end, and you're in a state of youth over here, you've got life expectancy. That is, the greater part of your life is still out here yet to be lived. See? And you can do a lot of wonderful things with it. And I'm looking at some young people today that, have got some great opportunities to do some good things with your life. And uh, believe it or not, as I look out at you kids this morning, it's not going to be very many years till you're going to be married. I'm looking at some of you here that will be married in less than 10 years. Uh, I can look at little Corley down there. She could be married. Mom, I'm sorry, but she could be married in 12 or 13 years. You don't know. That don't sound like a long time. It's not. They grow up quick. Tabby, your boys will be married before you know it. They just will. And Maria, you're going to lose Denise one of these days to some fellow. And, and she's not that far away from taking a husband one of these days. Those are large decisions, important decisions. When you pick a companion like that, you've got an opportunity, if you'll think right, to get it right. While you're young, if you'll give your life over to the Lord, you'll make better decisions. You'll pick a better companion. And right now, young people, if you'll get your mind straight, you can get a good education while you're young and start working toward a good career where you can make a decent income, where you can provide comfortably for yourself and for your family. 
and have money for the Lord's cause and money to help the, those that are about you that are in need. There's a lot of things you can do when you're young with life expectancy that can make your life a whole lot better if you'll really be serious about things right now and get the Lord in your life early in life and give your life over to Him. You'll make better decisions and you won't make as many mistakes as some of us that didn't serve the Lord when we were younger. You make a lot of mistakes in the days of your youth when you don't have God in your life and when you're not serious about it. So you've got a chance to do some things about that and it's a, it's a great thing to have life expectancy. Let me tell you something, young people. It's good, to see, it's good to see it when you obey the Lord early in your life and give your life over to Him. Because you not only save your soul, you save your life. You save your soul, but you save your life also when you serve the Lord early in life. And let me tell you what I mean by that. I can best illustrate it with a story I read one time about a man that that uh, obeyed the gospel early in his life and became a Christian. And he took a wife in his youth and she bore him two sons. I don't know what happened to the man, but for some reason he got away from the Lord and he took up the bottle and he began to drink heavily and he became an alcoholic. Both of his sons, as they grew up, followed in their father's steps and they became drunkards also and they died early in life as young men they died drunkards and they died lost. Now this old man who had, who had become a Christian here early in life, when he got over here near the point of death, later in his life he repented, he woke up and decided that he needed to serve the Lord. And he'd, he had spent all of these years now in sin, away from the Lord, a drunkard, and his boys had died drunkards. And he'd done a lot of things in these early years that he tried to correct later in life. For example, he told a lie about a fellow. He remembered telling a lie on him. And, and as he got older here before he died, well, he repented of that. And he went to the man and he said, you know, I lied about you. And he asked the man's forgiveness. And the guy forgave him and he left there and he said, you know, I feel better now. I got that fixed. He remembered another man to whom he owed $100 been owing that money for years. And he went and paid him with compound interest. And when he left that man, he said, you know what, I feel better now. I got that fixed. On the way home, he stopped by the cemetery and he kneeled down at the graves of his two sons. And he said, uh, these are my boys here. And he said, my boys are dead. He said, they're not only dead, they're lost. He said, they're not only lost, they're lost because of my influence and I can't fix that. You see, he had wasted his life. If he repented over here later in life, his soul can be saved and all these things he did wrong can be forgiven. But he wasted his life. The greater part of his life was ruined being an alcoholic. And young people, what I'm trying to tell you today is you've got youth right now. Not only can your soul be saved, but you can do something about your life. You don't have to waste it. You don't have to lose it by making bad decisions. That's one of the great things about being young. And this man here is young. He's rich and he's young and that's wonderful. That's wonderful. The third thing I want to mention about him, he's a ruler. 
I don't know what position of authority he held, we're not told, but he had authority over other people because he ruled, and that means he had a lot of influence. And you know, a lot of times in life we can occupy positions of authority or have a, a position at work or something where we have a chance to influence a lot of people. And as a ruler like this, he could influence folks. That's a wonderful thing. He's rich, he's young, he's a ruler. I want you to notice something else. He came running to Jesus. As Jesus passed through, he didn't want Jesus to get out of his sight. This shows the urgency that he felt in talking to Christ. He ran to Him. You know, in this day and age, we have to beg people to come to Jesus. We beg them to come to church. We beg them to come to Christ. But to this young man's credit, he came running to Jesus. See, He couldn't wait to get there because he had something to ask Jesus and he didn't want the Lord to get away without being able to ask that question of Him. And finally there at number five, did you notice he kneeled to Jesus? He kneeled to Christ when he got there. That shows the reverence that he had. And when he kneeled down to Christ, the Lord didn't rebuke him. Jesus didn't say, now stand up, fella. I'm a man like you are. The Lord was aware of his divinity and aware of his deity and aware of the fact that he was worthy of worship. I read in first, uh, excuse me, in Acts 10 and 26 about Peter. When Peter came to the house of Cornelius in Caesarea, the Bible says that Cornelius fell down at Peter's feet to worship. But we read in Acts 10 and 26, Peter took him up saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. He would not let Cornelius bow down to him. In Revelation 22 and verse 9, there is an angel that showed John many of the wonderful things in the book of Revelation. And John talked about in verse 8 how he fell down at the feet of that angel to worship. In verse 9, the angel said, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book worship God. Here's an angel, and they're a higher form of being than we are, but these angels understood they are not to be worshipped, they are not God. They are a created being, they're not a creator. And so this angel would not allow John to worship him. And yet we read in Hebrews 1 and 6 that Jesus is worshiped by angels. The Bible says, And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. Jesus is constantly worshiped in heaven by millions of angels. They cry out, Holy, Holy, Holy. They, they praise the Lord continually. They praise the Lamb. And they worship Him continually. Forever and ever Jesus is worshiped by angels. Therefore it's fitting and proper that, that this man not only run to Jesus, but that when he gets there, he bows down to Christ. He kneeled to Him. And Jesus, being aware of who He was, that He is divine, that He is deity, accepted the worship of this man that bowed down to Him. So now look at, look at the description of this man. We've spent a little bit of time here, but I want you to see, see just what kind of individual we have here today. He is rich. He's young. He is a ruler. He came running to Jesus, and when He got to Him, He kneeled. Pretty commendable, isn't it? And when He gets to Jesus, kneels there, and 
he, uh, he has a very important question. Luke 18 and 18. He asked Jesus, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? In spite of the fact that he's rich and he's young and he's a ruler, he knows their time is coming in the future when everlasting life is going to be the most important thing he can have, and he doesn't want the Lord to pass by without finding out how to obtain that. And so he asked Jesus what to do, and the Lord finally tells him in, uh, in Luke 18 and verse 20, Keep the commandments. He said, If you'll enter into life, keep the commandments. And that prompted another question from the young man. He said, Which? You see, in the law there's a lot of there's a lot of commandments. There are hundreds of them. And when Jesus said, Keep the commandments if you want to have eternal life, he asked him which? And the Lord took him straight to the Ten Commandments, which were in effect at that time, even the Sabbath. And these commandments divide themselves into two categories here. The first four commandments of the ten have to do with our relationship to God. For example, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, etc. And uh, this, the last six, commandments five through ten, have to do with our relationship to our fellow man, to morality, and that's where the Lord took him, to the second half of those commandments, the last six. And He tells him these commandments. In Luke 18 and 20, he said, Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and mother. He gives him those commandments right there as an answer. When he said, Which commandments do I need to keep? He gives him these commandments. Now in Matthew 19, 20, the young man, I want you to notice, made a very remarkable statement to Jesus. And let's look at it just a minute. He said to Christ, All these things have I kept from my youth up, what lack I yet? All of these things, He tells Jesus, have I kept from my youth up. I want you to look there at those commandments again the Lord gave Him. They're in the center column, about middle, middle ways of the page. Do not commit adultery, do not steal or kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, Honor thy father and mother. Raise your hand this morning if you've kept every one of those commandments yourself without fail. You don't see my hand up either. <laughs> but this young man told Jesus, All these things have I kept from my youth up. Now there's two things about that statement there I want you to notice. He said, I've kept all of these from my youth up. Number one, if he kept them from his youth up, that means he had to know them in his youth. In other words, somebody taught this young man when he was young or he couldn't have kept them from the youth up. He knew them when he was young and he could not have known them unless somebody had taken time to teach him. He reminds me of uh, what Paul said about Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15. Paul told Timothy, And that from a child thou hast known the holy commandments, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy knew the commandments from a child, and that means that somebody taught Timothy when he was young. And we've studied in Acts uh, in our studies on Wednesday nights, and noted that Timothy had a grandmother and a mother, Eunice and Lois, that his father was a Greek or a Gentile, but his grandmother and his mother evidently saw to it that Timothy was taught the Scriptures when he was young. Every child ought to be taught the Bible. 
Every child ought to be taught the Scriptures. And if we're failing to do that, we're failing. In Ephesians 6 and verse 4, this is primarily given to the Father. Paul said, Ye fathers, provoke not your children unto wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And if there's a father in the home that will not teach the kids, then it falls upon the mother or upon a grandmother or whoever's in that family to make sure those youngsters know the Scripture. I want to, I want to make this statement without fear of any contradiction. We can give our kids the best education in the world. We can do any number of things for them. We can put braces on their teeth and straighten them and make them look pretty. We can give them a great education. We can do all kinds of things. Dress them in the finest clothes and put them in great schools and, and send them to certain social circles where they'll, they'll meet important people. And, and we can do all kinds of things like this to hopefully enhance the life of our kids. But if we have not taught them the Bible, we have failed because we've neglected giving them the thing they need more than anything else in this life, and that's a knowledge of God's Word. And I want you young parents to remember these things this morning. You that haven't yet married, make sure it's a priority that your children know the Word of God, and they know what's right and wrong, and they know the Lord's Church, and they know all about it, and they know what true religion is and true worship. Because if we haven't done these things, we've actually failed as parents. And many, many parents fail in this, in this account. This young man had been taught the Scriptures because he said, I've kept these from my youth up, see. Now that's the first thing I want you to notice. And the second thing is, did you notice Jesus didn't deny that statement? When the young man said, all these things have I kept from my youth up, Jesus didn't say, now wait a minute. You know, I can tell you about a time you did this, or I can tell you about a time you did that. The Lord didn't remind him of things like that. I don't know if he kept all these from his youth up or not, but I know one thing, the Lord never corrected that statement. In fact, look at Mark 10 and 21. Jesus uh, found the young man very, very lovable. The Bible says, Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Now the Lord loved everybody, but he especially loved this young man. He just found him remarkable. I mean, here's a young man that has come running to him to know his duty, has kneeled to him, showing him reverence, has asked him what to do to have everlasting life, and he's rich, and he's young, and he's a ruler, and the Lord has told him to keep the commandments, and he said, I've kept all of these from my youth up. See, Jesus, beholding him, loved him. The Lord finds him especially lovable here. But the young man still senses that something's just not right. And he asked the Lord one final question. What lack I yet? He's kept all of these things from his youth up, but he still senses that there's something just not quite right. And so he asked the Lord a question, What do I lack yet? Now he's come to the right person. The Lord's going to tell him. And Jesus is not going to mince words with him. He's going to tell him exactly what the problem is. And the Lord's going to tell him this, Son, you lack one thing. Just one thing's all you lack. Now you know that's pretty commendable, isn't it? One is the least thing you can lack, isn't it? If you've got to lack something, just one thing. 
I remember when I was a kid, go to the store sometimes, I lacked one penny. I didn't have that, that penny that I needed. I needed that one cent right there. And I'll tell you something, back in the days when I was a kid, they didn't have a jar full of pennies or a little container of pennies on the counter to where they just gave you a penny or two if you needed it. Because a penny back then would buy you a stick of gum. It would buy something. It'd buy a piece of candy. It won't buy that now. It takes a nickel or a dime, doesn't it? I was coming home late last night, and I got, got a sweet tooth all of a sudden, and I thought, I'd like to have an ice cream cone. So I pulled over at a, at a place to get an ice cream cone. They said, that'll be a dollar fifty-three. And I thought, my goodness, a dollar fifty-three for an ice cream cone. You know what I gave when I was a kid? Five cents. I could have bought 30 ice cream cones. <laughs> Think of that. You talk about inflation. <laughs> that would have bought 30 ice cream cones when I was a kid. <laughs> and I mean big ones. <laughs> and the ice cream was better too. Maybe that was just because I was a kid. <laughs> now folks, I'm not that old. But that's how much things have changed. Gasoline was 28 cents a gallon. And uh, I bought some gas last night, I think $35 worth of gas, and I got 14 gallons. And I was sitting there thinking, you know, I used to give 25 cents a gallon. I could have bought 14 gallons pretty cheap. <laughs> you know, a little over $3, not just under $4, I could have bought that 14 gallon. But uh, that money was harder to make back then, too. Nonetheless, uh, he just lacks one thing. And, you know, we may be prone to think, well, one thing's not too bad. You know, if you go to a doctor and you, you have an examination and he runs all kinds of tests and he finally calls you back in and is ready to give you the results and the doctor says, I just find one thing wrong with you. Well, I don't sound too bad, but you know, one thing could be a hidden cancer. Or it could be a heart condition we didn't know about or something like that. One thing can be fatal. And Jesus said, I just find one thing here. You, you lack one thing. And the Lord told him what that was. Look at uh, Matthew 19, verse 21, down near the bottom. Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. So he said, I want you to sell everything you've got. Give it to the poor. Give everything you've got away. And you'll have treasure up in heaven, and then you come follow me. Now that sounds a little bit too tough, doesn't it? Why did Jesus do that? I mean, why, why didn't the Lord say, look, I want you to, uh, I want you to give half of what you've got away, Give half to the poor. You keep the other half. Give half to the poor and you'll have that treasure in heaven and then you come follow me. You go ahead and keep the other half. Because the Lord knew that this is the man's problem right here. That if he keeps this other half, he's going to try to turn that half back into the hole that he had before. And then he's going to try to even increase it even more and make even more than he had. You see, his problem is his wealth and his love for it. I want you to look at those commandments there in the center of the page. 
in Luke 18, 20, when He came to Jesus, and He said, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And the Lord said, Keep the commandments. And He said, Which? Jesus named. And I, I showed you the Ten Commandments, that the first four relate to our duty to God, and the last five, or six rather, our responsibility to our fellow man. And when Jesus gives these last six, He only gives five. Look at them. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and mother. There's one of them missing. Do not covet. He never named that one. Why didn't the Lord name that commandment when He asked Him? That's why I put a blank there on your page. Because the Lord read His heart when He walked up. He knew what His problem was. He knew His problem was covetousness. He knew that He was covetous of what He possessed. And this would keep Him out of heaven. He loved the Lord. He wanted everlasting life, but He wanted His money more. And Jesus knew that. He knew He was covetous. And so He on purpose did not tell Him, Do not covet. He left that commandment off. And now He's telling him, You go sell all you have. You give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. And you come follow Me. And look at Matthew 19, 22. The Bible says that when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He wanted everlasting life, but he wanted his possessions more, see. And he went away sorrowful. Let me tell you how else he went away. This man went away a worse man than when he came. He left there worse than when he came. If you'll think about it, when he came to Jesus, he's pretty commendable. He's rich. He's young. He's a ruler. He came running, and he kneeled to Jesus. Now look how he leaves. He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And as I said, he went away worse than when he came. That's always true. When you and I learn our duty to God, when we learn what our duty is, and we obey and do what the Lord wants, we're made better right there. When we learn our duty, and we disobey and we refuse to obey, we're made worse. This man was worse than when he came. He left out of there much worse than he came. And I want you to think about something. He's going to meet up with Jesus one more time. It's going to be the day of judgment. I don't know how the young man died. If he died in keeping with the decision he made that day, let's think about him in judgment. When he first came to Jesus, he was rich. But you see, he lost his riches ultimately. If he didn't lose them in this life, he lost them when he died. He didn't keep his riches. He could have had treasure in heaven, couldn't he? That's what the Lord told him. You know, when you give things away to the Lord's cause, you keep them. When you keep them for yourself, you lose them. And he could have given all of that to the poor, and Jesus said, you'll have treasure in heaven, see. But what he did, he kept it. And ultimately, when he died, he lost his riches. Now he has no treasure in heaven. That's all gone. 
When he came to Jesus, he was young. But eventually his youth faded into old age and death. He could have had eternal youth. That's what he came looking for, everlasting life, wouldn't it? He could have had everlasting youth. But his youth went to old age and death, and now he has no eternal life. He lost his youth, too. When he came to Jesus, he was a ruler. But before he died, or at least at death, he lost his rulership. He could have had glory and honor in the everlasting kingdom of the Lord. But he lost that, too. When he came to Jesus, he was rich and young and a ruler. And when he meets Jesus again, he's got nothing. Because he lacked one thing. And that really brings us to the crux of the matter with you and I today. The question that he asked Jesus was, What lack I yet? What do you lack yet? As you survey your life today, what do you lack? What's lacking? If we were to look at our lives for a minute, if I were to ask you this morning, how is your prayer life? How often do you pray? How fervently do you pray? How often during the day do you pray? Are you constantly flashing prayers to God? Prayers of thanksgiving? Prayers in times of trouble or temptation or problems? Are you constantly in prayer? When you get news of somebody, that's just had an illness or stricken by a disease, do you stop right there and just have prayer about that person and, and make intercession for them? How's your prayer life? Are you lacking in that? Honestly, are you lacking in your prayer life? What about your study habits? How much do you study God's Word? How much do you read it, feed on it, try to understand it? We have a 24-hour day. How many minutes of a day would you say you give to the Word of God in your life? We have 168 hours in a week. How many of those 168 hours would you say you devote to the Scripture? Do you give 10 minutes a day to reading? 15, 20, 30? What are your study habits? What do you lack? See, These are important questions. What about attendance at church? How's your church attendance? You know, sometimes we're hindered. We just can't make it providentially. We're sick. We've got some today hindered by the weather. They're, they're, they're uh, blocked in by high water. So I'm not talking about those times when we just can't make it, but other opportunities when we can come to church. How, how devoted are we? How faithful? How about your, your Christian life, your day-to-day -day Christian life? How's that going? How devoted are you to the Lord? How's your walk with God? How are you living? How about visiting the sick and widows? James called that pure religion. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. Do not have instrumental music. That's not pure religion. It may be important how we worship God. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. Take, take the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Now, we wouldn't think of missing the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. I understand that. But pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. That's pure religion. 
How's your religion? Do you visit the sick? Do you, do you see to the widows? Or do you just talk about it? Do you mention it to others, but you don't ever really go check on them? How about your personal work and your, your dealings with the lost? Do you talk to people around you about Jesus? Do you invite them to church? Do you ask them about studying the Bible? Do you ever say to them, you know what, we do Bible studies where I attend church and we love to come to people's homes and study the Bible. Would you be interested in doing a Bible study? We'd be glad to come to your home. How many times do we talk to people about the Lord? We've got a little less than two months left till the end of this year. Have you thought about the fact that maybe you could lead one person to Jesus before the year ends? You ever thought about making that a goal? I'm going to win one soul for the Lord before this year ends. Now, if you get one real quick, go get another one. And get another one after that if you can. Don't just settle for one, but think about that. Do you, do you try to win the lost to Christ? What are we lacking in our lives? See, it's real easy to read about the young man in this story, and he's very commendable. Rich, young, a ruler, running to Jesus, kneeling to Him, keeping His commandments in His youth, wanting to know His duty. See? But he lacked that one thing, and it's real easy to read about him and, and to talk about his covetousness while failing to look at our own lives and think about the things that we might be lacking. So the lesson's yours today. That's, that's all self-examined. It's real easy to look at other people. You know, if you look at me not very long, and you won't have to look very long, you'll find faults. You'll see a lot of warts, and there'll be things that you can condemn in me, and maybe if I look at your life, I might do the same. How about we look at our own life and not everybody else's? We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. To receive new sermons each week, subscribe on Google Play Music, iTunes, Spotify, and like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and God bless.